0: Laura Murphy, thanks a million for coming on to our podcast. You're the first woman we've had in the podcast and I couldn't think of a better woman to have to to bring on first. Um, we've been, I suppose we've kind of been following your, what you've been doing for the last number of months. We came across you first on a call with Michael Ryan um, through his program on the, the way home. And for myself anyway, I just found you very inspiring and
1: Hey, me too. And uh, Daryl as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was on one of those first calls with Michael that you talked about the concept of imbus Ferozny. and it was actually the first time i I came across it. And I'd actually wrote a poem that morning. That kind of, funnily before the call, that kind of was alluding to that, but I didn't really know what it was. So it was really um, just magical to to learn about it and hear your own story. Um, and how you kind of fell into it too so maybe i suppose if you want to start maybe i suppose you you call yourself maybe a poet an activist and a healer and it's very evident in the work that you do um, that we see on instagram and other places so maybe just if you wanted to start maybe by talking about how you got into what you're doing today and maybe that dark darkness that you were in um for a couple of years there um, if you want to maybe talk to that
2: yeah, yeah. Well, I actually came across you guys before that. So I came across you guys from your podcast with Dear Ling. And I was like mm-hmm. his instant heart connection. And I think I might follow you since then. So it's it's funny like you know you don't have that instant heart connection with everybody's you come across so many people online but I did have that with you guys and then it was amazing it was beautiful to see you on the call as well on, on Michael Ryan's call on the way home and and since then I've been noticing the the synchronicities between you know my speaking about Imbus and then things that you'd have written or even things that I would be experiencing myself on this Journey of the Celtic Wheel, which we're probably on together because we would have started with Michael Ryan, you know, on the solstice or on Samhain. And th- there seems to be uh, alignment, you know, in our experiences. I know Daryl, you had a tough winter. I had a tough winter. And and even what you wrote recently, Cormac, on, on feeling the light, uh, you know, again, and not, to, you know, not be so focused on the shadow work, you know, and, and things that we need to fix so much I related to so yeah I was really delighted when you invited me on and and um you know being the first woman as well because I know what that means for you guys and your work in this podcast and for me to be able to speak to that you know to be able to speak to younger men in particular about the different insights that I've picked up along the way as a woman trying to you know Crawl out of patriarchy and, and, and the patriarchal conditioning that, that I've been, um, I suppose, experiencing myself. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's a long way of saying I'm glad to be here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we all love long winded answers here. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's what happens when the imbus starts flowing. <laughs> um, so, I suppose my journey to to poetry and healing and even activism I think uh, started at age 14 and I had and that was interesting as well I was listening to another podcast with you Daryl that you said you're kind of Uh, you had a different journey that started at 14, you know, down a different path. But I think 14 is a kind of a definitive age. I've seen it in a few people that you can have a turning point at 14. You can have a turning point at 27 um, and 14. So, but my turning point at 14 was that I started to write my first poem. Um, It was just an an, an English. It was just a, a homework you know, and it was a very basic poem that I wrote, but I found that there was a certain flow there, and I found then that some, you know, there was quite a bit of trauma that I'd experienced that I could actually, um, oh, I found relief from when I started writing, you know, there were really, really basic poems, but just that, that, you know, that expression and that relief and that release so that's when I started to write poems and not really in any serious way that I showed to anyone or anything that really didn't happen until a few years ago maybe two or three years ago but um the other thing that happened was that I I was I I was in a crash and with my mom and my man was pretty badly injured and she had chronic pain in her back for a year that no doctors could fix and I was sitting at her feet one day and uh I just got this pain up my back, this shooting pain up my back. And I described it to my mom and I said, is that what you're feeling? And she said, yeah. And then I I don't know where this came from. Like out of nowhere, I just had this instinct to put my hand on her back and kept it on her back for about 10 minutes and just concentrated all my love that I had for her, which is like infinite, (laughs) all my love I had for her out through my hand and onto her back. And 10 minutes later, her face went white and she was like, oh my God, the pain is gone. And like the top consultants in Ireland couldn't figure out what was wrong, couldn't get rid of this pain. And I had never heard of anything to do with healing or anything like that or Reiki or anything. It was 1994 at that time. Um, so I wouldn't, hadn't heard of anything. It wasn't even in the mainstream at all. It was, you know, a, a bare whisper in Irish society, but uh I then if my family or friends had any issues like headaches or anything I just I would do it on them and and always successful and always you know quite amazed there were some amazing stories and some amazing healings um I didn't want it to really be known that this was happening so I just would say to my mom and my dad you know keep it quiet like or my friends or whatever do you know like this is I was a bit freaked out I didn't really know I felt really natural to me and 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 it's beautiful um but you know I was 14 and <laughs> and then when I was 18 on the Late Late Show I saw there were people on it who were explaining about Reiki and my mom was like that there's a language on what you do um and there's this woman in Cork who teaches people do you want to go down and learn and get qualified in it and I said yes yeah. so I think I was 19 and my mom took me to uh, Cork uh, to Teresa Collins she had written a book at the time she was probably one of the first in Ireland to even bring Reiki in so I learned with her and I got my my you know I, I trained up to master's level at that very early age. Um, I went to college then and I suppose my deviation down uh, a wrong path well wrong they're never wrong but anyway down a different path started uh, around 1819 again there was a upheaval in my life and parents had separated and I yeah I just became a party animal I uh, always had an interest in my spirituality and poetry like Yeats was always a big thing back when my first poem came I started this obsession with WB Yeats listening to his new listening to his poetry not really understanding the poems but having this magic feeling when I heard the words you know and I just gathered all the books I could find on him and and That never waned, even in college and even in the party animal years. And when when I did party animal, I did it really well, (laughs) like three day benders and. And (laughs) (laughs) so and that's another thing I think is a characteristic of people who are naturally quite artistic or creative or spiritual. They fit very nicely into that drugs and drink and party thing, you know, even you can, you know, Jim Morrison and Kurt Cobain. And um, there's, it's, it, it probably comes from the same source within and the same, uh, I suppose, w- wish to touch something deeper within ourselves or something more universal you know um but anyway that i that's my way of of uh justifying or putting meaning (laughs) on my (laughs) my party animal years which were a great crack but like yeah uh i suppose it was a 10-year gap then when i didn't really i wasn't doing anything with the poetry or anything but i had started a career I fell into marketing so then I I, got, I finished college and instead of pursuing something in English because I had been studying English in UCD I just got work experience and fell into marketing you know fell into a job in marketing and just happened to be good at it, it comes from the natural communications ability I suppose that I had and then I, I was burning the candle at both ends then it was marketing you know it was that job fast-paced job and um, partying and activism and and poetry and things like that just took a big sideline. Never fully dropped. Now it was always kind. Of, I'd always write here and there, and I'd always be reading. But I suppose it wasn't then until twenty, maybe two thousand, I suppose, or two thousand and three. No, that they were the party animal years. Probably around. 2007 2008 I started to get a bit of sense then and I suppose it naturally I was lucky that you know I suppose you could class it as an addiction of sorts I was addicted I couldn't not go out at the weekend and when I was out I couldn't not drink right and I was wondering how am I going to stop this but the way it stopped for me was it was just a natural the system just knew and it just naturally fizzled out and dropped off and i made changes you know a few changes along the way so i was lucky in that regard and then i suppose the activism then when that kind of dropped off that allowed for my purpose to come up then and you know i'd be involved in local activism bits and pieces you know if there was something going on with the environment or there was, you know there was a big factory here who were big polluters and stuff i was you know I'd be doing. I'd start with doing things like that and helping out where I could, and learning, getting more engrossed in the poetry and more engrossed in 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 the the spirit, learning spirituality because I wanted to understand this gift that I had. I wanted to I wanted to know the science behind it. So at that stage, I started to really getting under the bonnet of quantum physics and and things like that, and found that there was a scientific way of um, describing and understanding these spiritual experiences I had because like yourselves I would have had mystical experiences along the way that were like you know life-changing really that that sporadically or spontaneously I would have been just put into a state of oneness or a state of bliss like where everything just makes sense and you have this sense of understanding Uh, It's very hard to explain in words because it's indescribable, really, but um, I had a few experiences along the way. So now, you know, I started to read up on all of this. I started to read about the great masters and, and, you know, spiritual people in history and even people in contemporary living who were deeply mystical. But people didn't really realize that, like Steve Jobs, probably the man who's changed the world, like nobody else you know arguably um he was deeply spiritual and he was deeply influenced by mystical experiences he had um so I was just reading avidly on that in that time and I suppose that's what spurred me to go on to Bridget's Way which was this uh Celtic pilgrimage in 2013 and it was um an alignment of Saint Bridget's uh, birthplace and in Louth and the place where she died in Kildare and that's actually m- my friend Anthony Murphy and Richard Moore they discovered that that was a straight line with ancient sacred sites along the way plotted on the line so the hill of Tara and the hill of Slain which I know you guys have connected in with as well um, they are all in a straight alignment so uh, Dolores Whelan who is like one of my my primary teachers she wrote a book called ever and ever new so Dolores Whelan and Karen Ward who's another great teacher they uh decided to create a pilgrimage and that you know they they found out through different synchronicities as well that this was an ancient pathway that was walked by our ancestors that was sacred that could be compared to the Camino in Spain you know and um, they decided to organize a pilgrimage in 2013. I went on that pilgrimage and I was really burnt out from work I had done this massive project in work and um yeah I just kind of I was at a there was a, the end of a relationship as well that I was like humming and hawing, didn't really know what way to go. I said, this, this this really sounds like the thing to do and to reconnect with the land. And and I suppose my collective, we had a collective intention and that was to reawaken that uh, uh, feminine femininity, I suppose, that was lost in Ireland through colonialism and through Catholicism. And the personal um, intention I had was to, figure out or get insight on how these gifts of poetry and healing that were so hugely strong that they could never die not even you know when i uh was so far into partying and arguably so far away from that realm they never ever died um i wanted to find out how how i could use these gifts because it felt like they were my purpose and that's what i was i was meant to do something with them i had this drive in me always to support people and help people and just make the world a better place or even my little you know patch of the world if I can improve that in any way that's what I wanted to do. So that was my intention to just see if I could get any insight in that I went on the pilgrimage and it was uh, like probably the most defining thing in my life. And I didn't expect that at all, you know, I expected it would be a lovely thing to do and I might get a little bit of healing, a little bit of insight, but uh, we weren't like three days into it and Dolores, uh, she was given a talk, Dolores Whelan, and she started talking about the meaning of the word dawn, so D-A-Foda-N in Irish, I was like oh this is deadly, <laughs> we're on the poetry already, and she said like many words like mancon the way mancon was describing uh, in the previous podcast of years like there are so the irish words have so many different layers of meaning and that can't really even be directly translated into english but when we understand the different layers of meaning in the irish language it can give us such insight on things and it can it can help us to think in that mystical way that our ancestors did so she said the word dawn as well as meaning poem also means gift it means destiny and it means skill so then I started thinking if you combine those words together like it it feels like um you know dawn what what the ancients are talking about uh, you know is that Dawn. There is this concept, or is this thing that we all have that is our sole gift and our destiny and our purpose. And you know, some of it. Some people will have that purpose as poetry, which is grand because then the word dawn fits there as well. And then I started thinking about the two of which are the original. Well, they're they're. You know, they're the mythological people of Ireland, but some might say that they're ancient ancestors of ours as well. And Tuwadaydanan means the people of the goddess Danu, but the word dawn is in that as well. And the Tuwadaydanan were said to be really powerful people that were superhuman in their gifts. Because they shone from this light, this inner light that they had, and this shining, they were called the shining ones as well, this shining came from them using their own gift, they were said to be the skilled ones and they were skilled in the arts and skilled in poetry and skilled in song. So I was like thinking, I wondered, you know, does the word dawn go back to the two de they done and, and the reason there was a golden age in Ireland back then, which there was Ireland was said to live in peace and said to live in harmony was the reason that there was a golden age because they were all tuned into their own dawn, their own purpose, their own soul gift, and then because they were so tuned into that soul gift. That they shone with this light and they were able to develop their superhuman powers because AE, you know, one of Ireland's greatest mystics would have said that the Tuatha Dé Danann they created their own. They weren't superhuman by chance. They created their own superhuman abilities by strength of will and knowledge and communion with nature. And I just had this huge kind of feeling or sense that the reason they were so uh, lived in harmony with nature and were so knowledgeable and were so great was because that they were all allowed to understand what their own dawn was their own soul gift and um, emanate that and then use it for the betterment of humanity. And it ties in as well with the the poets and the artists being as important from then on for a few thousand years after that, until the Roman Catholic Church came, the poets were, were the most important people in society. Um, apart from the king and arguably they were probably more important than the king because they were the ones who advised the kings so, um, so it, that was an amazing insight and Dolores also said that the poets were healers in, in society and um, they were the ones that that really they used imbus for Osnay to, to divine truth and to, to access deep states of intuition. and and to understand what the truth of a situation was, or to understand if the people or the land were not flourishing, the poets would be called on to go into this state of imbas ferosne, which is this higher state of consciousness. imbas ferosne means um, knowledge which illuminates or illuminated inspiration and the poets were trained; like there was huge training for them to be able to access the state, but they accessed it and they they helped the king lead in right relationship with the land and the people, and they could also divine prophesy So they could access this imbus for to see what was going to happen in war, or how to avoid things like that. So that's I was like this is mad that really ties in with my intention that Dolores will be speaking like this and telling me all of this so this is great you know and if she didn't tell me about the Imbus for Osnate, that that I learned that kind of after but just that insight about the word dawn I think that's one of the biggest things that we've missed in the kind of mistranslation of our Irish language you know um but anyway a few days after, I was on the Hill of Slain, um, which is a very ancient sacred site, and there was a fire prepared there for us to do a ceremony. And we all sat at the fire and we were asked to offer an intention. I can't even remember what it was because the minute I sat down, I started to just go into this really uh, other. A, a, just a deep I didn't know what was happening at first I felt sick and a darkness came over me it was like I was going to faint it was quite uncomfortable and I couldn't hear what was going on or I couldn't speak I couldn't really do anything only just kind of go just surrender into this state and um, it came to be my turn to speak and I was just about oh yeah the, I had to try and help me not be sick A random thing came to me and it was like Maude Ghosn, who is another hero of mine. She's, you know, WB Yeats's muse and and partner and colleague and work colleague and and one of Ireland's greatest humanitarians. But her magical motto came to me and I kept saying it like an incantation. And as I was saying, it it helped me not be sick. So anyway, when it came to my turn to speak, that's just what I said was Maude Ghosn's incantation, which was through fire to the light. That was her magical motto that she had. Through fire to the light and I just kept saying that as a as as a an incantation and and I don't know I must have said a few words after I don't know but um I stayed in in oh yeah another amazing ex- happening was that uh the smoke in the fire kept coming over me and kept making me sicker and then I would move to a different place and the smoke in the fire would move to back to me wherever I was going I was like how is this even happening or am I tripping or what is what's going on but I wasn't because there was loads of other people there who who reflected all that back to me and you know I, I found out after that fire to our ancients is a purifier is a you know is is it was used in ritual to purify in in sacred ceremony but anyway um I started come to and the ceremony ended and uh next thing one of the girls said look up And I looked up and then out of an aperture in the tree, there was this column of light coming down and it was coming down right through where I was sitting and into the fire. I was like, oh my God, this isn't meant because the motto was like through fire to the light. And then I was like looking around and the the sun was actually at a different place. So there was this column of light coming from an aperture, but the sun was in a different place. I was like, oh my Jesus Christ, the whole thing blew my mind. But I got up and I was in this state of gorgeousness and bliss and light, like lightheartedness and smiles and really grounded and just happy. Um, And I was actually I had the Bridget's Cross. They gave everyone got a different a chance to hold the Bridget's Cross for, for the group. And that was the day I had the Bridget's Cross as well. And that was in front of me for the whole thing. There was even a picture where I held the cross up to the light just to get a cool photo at the time. And uh, another girl took, that was the start of like, Instagram wasn't even a thing, but with the whole (laughs) social media thing was starting. Um, Yeah, she took a picture and the picture captures the column. And anyway, it was phenomenal. But I had this newfound lightheartedness. And then the next day or that evening, no, I started to poetry started to flow uh, we were walking back then to to Newgrange that night we were staying in Newgrange and then this poetry started to flow out of nowhere I hadn't even willed it it was like poetry that I had never written before uh I was like oh my god this is mad that evening I explained what had happened to a few of the other pilgrims and there's a renowned druid um Emer Emer from Kilkenny and she said that sounds like Imbus for osney was like what's that and she's like it's this technique that was used by the ancient poets of Ireland and I was like oh this is mad again going back to what my intention was and whatever Um, and that's what started me then I realized that there was this thing in in our Celtic wisdom tradition our Irish wisdom tradition that combined healing and combined poetry and combined activism and the betterment you know of humanity and like they were obviously so much a part of 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 that personal intention that I had and I was like how is it that we don't know about this you know and the other people on the pilgrimage had never heard of Imbus for either and I knew then in my heart that it was probably part of my purpose and definitely a huge fire in my belly and a huge part of my dream from then was to learn as much as I could about Imbus and to to then communicate whatever it was that I was learning and I've been on a mission since then since 2013 to learn everything I could about it and I found that very very little has been written about it even though it was central to how society functioned And not only central to how society functioned, it was central to how the last time society in Ireland functioned well, but yet it's forgotten about. Um, And yeah, so little is written about it that a lot of what I've learned has had to come from personal experience. So, you know, I've had to figure out way, you know, take the, the cues from the ancient manuscripts or what's written by other people, which is very little. And then, you know go on my own journey and, and and follow the archetypes of the gods and goddesses in our ancient mythology who were connected to Imbus um, and yeah like you know some some of the some of the things you learn you, you choose you know like I, I developed a, a practice like you know where I would just go into darkness and because The one thing that is written about in Imbus is that the poets had a technique where they went into a cave or a darkness, somewhere dark for three nights, three days and three nights, and then the divine inspiration would just naturally arise in them. So I would I would have done things like that myself and devised little techniques that I could do, you know, every day that would be similar to that. But I also then was given experiences by the universe that I didn't ask for, you know, and one of them was a big immersion into probably the dark, one of the darkest things that you could experience in your life. I'll take a drink of water before this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just, I'm gonna, somebody is after turning on a headstrimmers out there, I'm gonna have to go and tell them to turn it off.
2: (laughs) Right, we'll get get a little break.
0: It's amazing! I couldn't believe what you said there about uh, when you are up in the Hill of Slain. Because remember, I said I went up there after yeah. you telling me about it, yeah. and I said I'd sit for. I decided I just got in my head on the Tuesday. I was like, I need to go there this week and just sit for twelve hours. So I was going to sit from nine a.m. to nine p.m. <clears throat> and about I was there about. I think it was about twelve. I don't know because I wasn't looking at my phone. I looked at my phone after, but it was probably around twelve. So three hours into it and i was kind of like i just got really tired when i got up there it was weird i was sitting at the tree oh, and then i just lay down on my yoga mat <clears throat> and then it was kind of like on my side lying there kind of almost going half asleep and the next thing my whole body just went like completely paralyzed and exactly what you said there i couldn't see any, like it was just blackness and i couldn't move and i didn't know what the hell was going on and i just could hear this hum like Woo, 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 like just surrounded me, and I was just like, "What the fuck?" And then, and all I knew, I tried to stand up, but I couldn't move. Um, and then I think I kind of got to my knees, and I just knew I was like, "You just have to surrender here." So I just faced the tree, and I just bowed to the tree, and I was just like, "I surrender." And then I, I lay back down, and then all of a sudden, I just heard this voice coming in from nowhere, like a woman's voice. And then as soon as those words came in, um, everything just started kind of coming back. So like I could open my eyes and I could feel this like energy moving up through my whole body and just kind of releasing. And it was kind of around my heart at the end. It was really strong. I could just feel it. And then I just opened my eyes and I could see the light again and just lying there. And I was like, what the hell? Um, And I just knew then I had to get out. I had to leave. Like I was like, I'm not. Didn't feel right to stay. That, that was obviously the message I went up there to get. Yeah. Um, but I just felt such a a knowing in my body that like so like I was meant to go up there and get that message. Um, and as funnily enough, I thought of Santiago or Seamus mm. in the podcast we did with him. He said, "Surrender to the land," and that's kind of what came into my head. I was like, I just surrendered to the land, and I was walking away, and then I was driving home. Then I get a message off Seamus, a voice message, and he's like, hey, Cormac, this may sound a bit weird, but I was just in my room here and your MacTia Taylor's poetry book just fell off the shelf. And I thought, oh, maybe something's up with Cormac. Maybe check if Cormac's okay. So I just thought I'd send you a message. <laughs> so I was like, holy shit. So it was just, it was a mad um, experience, yeah. And uh, still haven't really figured out what it is, but... Um,
2: wow.
1: I told you I and I, when I was half
0: asleep that night. Then
1: a voice came to me, and it was a message for Cormac. I, I just can't remember. I couldn't remember it. I could remember the last part. I woke up and I was like, I can't remember. I was like, Can you say that again? Because, because, <laughs> because when when Cormac said to me it wasn't my voice, I was like in my head. Because with a lot of things like um, I always feel like even like say implant medicines or whatever it is. And people talk about it as a separate thing. I kind of always feel like it is your own voice speaking to you. Yeah. It's something else. Yeah. But that night, like that same night that Cormac um, was at slang, I understood what he meant by feeling like it was someone else's voice. I understood then. And it was like, the message was for Cormac, something about a scarf.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: It it was a crazy experience for me too. But the thing is, I know I've had that before, but I just, have gone back to sleep right was, this was completely in the i had gotten a, i had been awake and it was like completely in that in-between zone and and i just became aware of what was happening like first i was i was just in it but then i became aware okay so i knew i was lying there i knew i was lying in the bed and i was listening to this voice then i just couldn't fully remember what it said but it was
2: yeah That's amazing like there's no doubt that that place is a portal like or is St. Patrick lit the Paschal fire there, which was the Paschal fire, uh, he was the very first ceremonial fire to bring in Roman Catholicism. But he robbed the tradition of the kings of Tara because back then you weren't supposed to light the fire at Equinox because it was Equinox when he lit the fire, which is all about balance and equal day and equal night. No one was supposed to light the fire until the High King of Ireland lit the fire first at Tara on Equinox and then everyone else in Ireland could light their fires, which symbolized, you know, the light returning at spring and the life coming back into the earth and the fire was said to really honor that and help that along to make the land flourish, but at that time then St. Patrick because he wanted to, uh, he wanted to kill off the pagan ways or our ancient ancestral ways, he then lit the the first fire of Christianity was lit on um at that exact spot that you had that experience Cormac and that I had that experience spontaneous experiences mm-hmm. but because I had such a such an and the experiences are so similar like you 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 described the physical I had never said that to you the physical
1: no
2: like it I felt sick I felt like the literally the land was was um sucking me in i felt like i was in the middle of the land like
1: i going to go uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, here
0: <you> <laughs> um
2: but it must be like my, so I, I i then went on a mission to figure out well what is it about this place because there's loads of sacred sites in ireland that you go on and you do ex- you do feel the magic like but this is slain is something just you know Even just unbelievable, really. So again, the guys who discovered uh, Bridget's Way, they also discovered that Bridget's Way and Patrick's, so Bridget's Way, the feminine ley line of Ireland, and Patrick's Way, what is called Patrick's Way, which is the masculine ley line of Ireland, and it's another um, pilgrimage alignment of sites. And, that you know, Patrick could be the masculine a-line, Bridget is the feminine. They meet, the intersection of those two lines is at that point at slain. And I was like, there's, there's where Patrick was going because Patrick was in with the Druids. You know, they, they, they were, there was a harmony between the Christians and the Druids for a long time. So Patrick in, would have understood the Druidic ways. And in my opinion, he knew how to harness their magic and their wisdom. And that's why he lit the fire at Slane on Equinox, because he, he knew Equinox was a PowerPoint in the year. It was a PowerPoint for balance and a power a point to access and harness energies. But he also knew that Slane was uh, reflected that balance on the land of Ireland because it was the intersection point of these two ley lines. So and it also there's um, constellations, there's magic in how the constellations cygnus in particular reflects um the the alignment on the land and saint patrick's fire so he was connecting with the stars he was connecting with the land and he was connecting with the day you know equinox day so he knew he knew from the druidic wisdom from the lads he was hanging around with you know pretending probably to be their friend uh he knew <laughs> that was a magical like, and now we're discovering it so so Patrick would have made a concerted effort then to to crack down and to get rid of all these druidic ways and St. Patrick banned the techniques for Imbus for Osnay so that was the start of how we started to lose it but look what's happening with us I had that you know I had that experience totally spontaneous you had a Cormac you're going to have it Daryl and you were actually involved in Cormac's one as well like you but know, I feel
1: like it could have been. It feels it's just strange that it happened that night, that same exactly. night. Exactly.
2: Like, and the voice, the voice thing being the same, and what's happening is, it's like you know, we're the knowledge is coming back, and and the knowledge is coming back organically through us. You know, when we start connected with the land, and when we start opening our hearts and making the intention, you know, to to listen to the ancestors or. You know, if 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 a poem or something in the mythology really speaks speaks to me, I will always go and try and either go into meditation and and figure out more about it or feel more about it or go on to a site connected to them or look back into research. And I find when we do that, that they the magic that can happen like they support us, you know, and I will speak later about how, you know. Imbus has has supported me with huge synchronicities and huge gifts and huge, you know, successes in different things. But um, it's I'm I was really dying to hear about because I know you messaged me, Karma, to say about the experience and I could feel in my I was in tears actually when I read the message. I, could feel, <laughs> I was like, oh, dude, this is going to be a good one.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, she wasn't messing about the Imbus there. No. Do you know?
1: Do you know what I was? picked up on when you were saying Laura that there's not much written about it so most of it has come from personal experience yeah and discovering it yourself I think that's probably a gift because if you had read been reading so much stuff about it you would have had all these expectations of what it was but instead you're discovering exactly what it is for you
2: that's so true in that kind of way so true and you understand it there's this word called gnosis g-n-o-s-i-s and and it was used by plato and the christian like early christians not the catholic christians the the original christian the essenes they would have called themselves gnostics and what gnosis means is a direct experience of the divine so those earlier christians before the, the 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 roman catholics their whole uh under, their whole understanding of divinity and of their religion was to experience have personal experience of the divine like what we were what i was you know we were all grown up in we all grew up in, in catholic ireland you know and we we were told that we were told that you had to understand god or the divine with blind faith like someone's written this down you know you you Very little experience yourself. You just take this as a given and you go on and you live your life that way. But what just happened, what's been what's happening to us and to many people in Ireland now, because I think there's just a wave, you know, in the collective consciousness, is that we're having these experiences, and now we're suddenly realizing, Jesus, this gnosis is a thing, like you know, we don't have to understand God as a man in the sky who passes down judgment and you know punishment for sin like I don't understand God in that way but I understand divinity in the way that our ancients would have understood it and that's it like the sacredness and beauty of that creative intelligence that makes a tree or makes a Mm -hmm. flower or that you know Uh, even if you look at sacred geometry or the Fibonacci sequence that arises time and time again in nature it's so obvious that there's an intelligence involved in creation and I see that, that intelligence as an energy you know and an entity but it's an entity that we all have within it within us because as Yeats says, you know, um, you are the dancer and the dance, like we are the poem and the poet, the singer and the song, the dreamer and the dream. We are creator and creation ourselves. And Jesus actually himself did say the kingdom of with heaven is within your soul. The kingdom of, with, of heaven is within everybody. And um, I believe that there's divinity with everyone and divinity in a, just a really reverential, sacred sense and this divinity within nature and it's when we lose our sense of that divinity we lose our connection to nature we lose our connection to self we lose our sense of meaning and we lose that sense of awe and all of those are essential to live in a content happy way in harmony with the earth that we're blessed to be on so us getting those experiences of Gnosis. You know, I see Imbus for in many other traditions as well, in different names. You know, it's Gnosis, it's Enlightenment, it's... You can see, if you go to any other, any native culture, you will find something similar to Imbus for So that was one of the biggest things that was lost in our culture. But I suppose in this patriarchal, materialistic, capitalist world that we live in, religion did more harm than good, like, because the religion that we know was all about a disconnection to God, you know, a disconnection to divinity. Um, whereas if we go back to our, you know, researching and understanding other traditions like Native American, Aboriginal, Australian, um, Hinduism, is hugely beneficial because we can see partial things of our you know we can see things of our own lineage that hasn't been written down that we think oh that could that could have been in our you know in our own ancient mythology or whatever and i know ae speaks of that as well but we don't need to go outside of our own ancient traditions to learn we we have the most regal and sophisticated and beautiful tradition in Ireland ourselves you know and and because we live and we we live on that land or we come from this land that's the closest thing to our spirit is 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 that tradition the ancient wisdom tradition of Ireland and for us to start learning more about that and for people to help bring out the teachings. You know, there's so many people now like Khan and Dolores Whelan and Anthony Murphy and Karen War, so many people now that are bringing that knowledge of Ireland, Michael Ryan back through, you know, and, and not in, in a way that's full of ego or that's full of dogma, uh, like, you know, other religions. It's just, oh, I suppose it's a philosophy that the Celtic wisdom and tradition is a philosophy on how we can live in, connection with nature and and have more of those experiences that are our birthright like more of those states of bliss and more of those uh synchronicities magic synchronicities that happen connection with community connection with tribe and that you know that experience in just that state of oneness and the state that that level of our being that exists beyond the thinking mind which is you know, for many of us, not our best friend at the best of times. Um, We can all experience that. And I think it, you know, it comes from that, just being aware of a sense of sacredness and a sense of, of divinity. There was another tangent.
0: (laughs) I feel very inspired. (laughs) Yeah. Don't want to stop you when you're flowing like that. But for me, it was really resonating was the, that myth of separation, I suppose, that we see today because, We've gone so far away from those direct experiences of the divine. And I think obviously like all of us here have had those experiences. And I think once you see I think Ramdas says, once you see someone else as a sorry, once you see yourself as a soul, you start mm-hmm. to see everyone else's souls. And it's very hard to look down on anyone or judge anyone because you're like it doesn't matter who they are or what they did. Like Tick Nat Hand talks about that as well, like with if it was like the murderer and the rapist that's still part of the divine it's hard to look at and like but all of that badness that's in that person is within you that doesn't mean you forgive the action but you see the soul beneath that and you connect to that maybe they're in pain like you don't understand their story so like I think we live in a world today where everyone's kind of pointing fingers and judging and I'm liable of it too because I'm human but if we can remind ourselves to look at each other as souls and I suppose it's hard to tell people to do that unless they have that experience of that oneness that we're all connected and we're all in this human life together like and it's not easy like it's it's tough I and mean, when you recognize that everyone is struggling through it then then you can be more compassionate more understanding of other people totally
2: mm. yeah.
1: mm, definitely it's something I was I can't remember where I heard it, but it really did stick with me. And it was no matter what a person has done or did, they are doing or had been doing the best they could in that moment with what they knew, Like no matter what it is. Yes. You know, it's like, even if they might've known better in that moment, they didn't, they weren't able to, to bring that up through themselves. So it's like they still did the best that they could in that moment, and like like Cormac said, when it comes to some quite nasty things, yeah, it's it's hard to to look at that and and accept it. You don't have to accept it, but just to to realize that um, everyone is doing the best with what they have. That's and it, it. Sorry.
2: Yeah.
1: No. Yeah. I was just going uh, to say it it, it. it takes a lot of. I suppose like it it nearly feels like it's pressure off yourself when you don't have to feel like you have to be, have these judgments or opinions. Yes. And like, like Comic said, you still do, but, um, just when you're more aware of it, you can pull yourself back. I feel anyway, for me.
2: So true. So true. And like, it's so hard now the way life is to not go into that judgmental place. You know, we have Putin over there and his war and, um, Oh, so many bad things happening in the news and, and violence and things like that. But when you're right, like when we do experience, when we do see others, when you do see the soul in yourself, you naturally then see other people as souls, you know, and you, this natural compassion comes up. And that's not to say that you have, I think there's a thing called idiot compassion in Buddhism. It's this mm-hmm. compassion that, um, uh, is not i suppose doesn't take on it's compassion that's extended i suppose without a base in reality you know that you're, you're going to just willy-nilly forgive a bad thing that happened just because you're coming from a place of compassion you know that's like a martyr thing to do you can have compassion and understanding for a person right from where they've come from in their in their bad action but that doesn't mean that that you know, you still can have your boundaries. And and I, I've had an issue myself with not having boundaries. And it's so important to have boundaries and for people to have boundaries with you. So what I found is that, you know, and it's taken me 42 years to actually get this and have it, a, have a, you know, as being able to live it in my life is that to have that level of compassion and understanding for people, but also be able in that compassionate way to keep your boundaries up, call shit out that needs to be called out um, and to do your part in not letting something bad happen again. So that's like that's not easy, but the basis of that is compassion, because if we don't have compassion and understanding at the very basis, you turn into a tyrant, or you will turn into uh, someone who thinks they're better than the person that you're given out to, or that's done you or wrong. Mm-hmm. You have to keep that level of soul connection, understanding that we're all the same on the energetic level. Then remember that you're human. Really sit with. Well, you know, is this my ego thinking that someone has wronged me, or someone has wronged something, you know, in society, or is it actually is this a time where I need to speak up? And then, you know, if you've really answered, if, if you really feel in your gut that it, this is a time to speak up, um, you know, say your piece, but say it with humility and, and just speak on the facts. You know, speak about how a person has made you feel because no one can argue with that and you're not making anything up or you're not blowing anything out of proportion. And then speak also about the facts. You know, what have they done and how has that made you feel? And what are the consequences, you know? And and I think, and doing that without anger or without shouting, you know, um, I had huge anger issues when I was like 19, 20 myself, you know, from different traumas that I'd gone through and things like that. And I, I'm a Leo, so I naturally have a temper, I suppose, as well. Same, same as that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah like we yeah so it's not easy to 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 i suppose rewire yourself mm-hmm. but like it has to be done or else you'll be the person ending up needing to mm-hmm. for forgiveness do you know what i mean but it mm-hmm. but the, the the start of all of that is compassion and breathing you know breathing and to to just remain factual and explain how you feel and then there's connection because that's the only way you know relationships are so important you know the quality of our relationships I think is equal to the quality of our life you know
0: so and and yeah I think you really described it brilliantly there because I wasn't yeah I don't want people thinking that I forgive everything it's you have to take action in this human world we live in you know to stop as you said to stop those bad things and people need to suffer the consequences like that's that's true and I think it's kind of like I really respect your activism on that point like in terms of you're the daughter of one of the mother and baby home survivors and I do you want to maybe tell us about some of the activism or the work that you did there um around that
2: well yeah um, and that'll that'll lead us into the part that I forgot to go back to which is that immersion into the darkness so we'll we'll go take yes. we'll, we'll way back there through this um, yeah, my mom, um, before I was born, uh, she got pregnant when she was young, she was like 17 or something, and back then in Ireland, um, it was a big shameful thing and you were hidden away and you were put into a, an institution, a mother and baby home institution, and they, the, the mothers were not treated well in these institutions at all, um, they were treated really, really badly. You know, they weren't given any pain medication when they were in in labor. And like labor is one of the hardest things a human can do. Um, Their babies would have been forcibly taken from them and removed against their wishes in like most cases. And so the the mother and baby home system started in 1922 in Ireland and went on for a hundred years. Like the last one closed in Dublin in like the nineties, mid nineties, you know, this was going on and a lot of the babies were adopted illegally uh, which means they can't trace their birth parents or they can't get medical information some of them don't even have like an identity they don't have a birth cert like basic human rights some women were actually tortured abused sexually verbally physically they had to do a lot of physical labor that would have been like you know all through their pregnancy up until for the nine months they would be scrubbing floors and doing all of this really tough slave labor because they weren't paid for it or anything um and they were hidden away society on the whole didn't know how hard these places were because they were run by the catholic church and society basically thought oh they're 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 in a they're in a place that's going to look after them you know and the you know the families were were happy because they were out of sight of the community because the woman who got pregnant would have been bringing huge shame onto the family and everything so it suited everyone at the time you know this was catholic ireland you know this was uh we we were staunch catholics you know getting pregnant before before wedlock was a sin like it was a big one of the biggest it was like murder you know that was considered like murder um and it was this mother and baby home thing, I think, was just brushed under the carpet for for all ever since uh, until about two years ago. It was a thing that most people in society didn't have any understanding of um, and was brushed under, under the carpet. But the, the survivors would have been always trying to, to get their voices heard and to. Um, you know, fight the government to get access to their records or fight the government so that people could understand the trauma that they were all still living under, like women who didn't know where their babies were, that they they were, you know, they'd have have huge depression and trauma and anxiety, or they'd turn to addiction because of this unresolved trauma. Um, And the survivors were always, you know, battling under the radar to have all of this brought into light, but to no avail. And because I was uh, the daughter of a survivor, I, 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 I knew the situation, I knew the sense of loss that, that, that she grew up with. Like it was it was a, a pain because I was her daughter and I, suppose I was as naturally an empathic person and a sensitive person who picks up on things like that. I just got such a visceral sense of her loss the whole way up through my life and a sense of the shame as well she you know uh, she's an amazing woman my mom everything I am today is because of her you know hugely and um I she had she didn't have the worst experience in the home compared to many people in fairness but you know and even at that I knew how traumatic it was for her and how traumatic it was to be plucked at 17 from rural Ireland, like place in Offaly at 17 into Dublin, into these four walls. And then she couldn't go back home when she had the baby. She had to get like a job in Dublin and she didn't even know how to catch a bus. Like she could come from Offaly into the big smoke, like at 17. You know, it's not. So anyway, I knew all of that trauma. So what started to happen two years ago was that the government, um, in 2014, a year after we went on Bridges Way, where I our collective intention was to heal the feminine in Ireland. Um, in 2014, Catherine Corliss discovered and brought out to light the tune babies, which were seven, nearly 800 babies in unmarked no, in a septic tank buried in a septic tank in Chum. And there was no they, they were hidden. They were hidden. No one knew who they were. No, Everyone was trying to hide it in Chum, but she was, she, she was a local historian and she kept on f- gathering evidence and until she forced the government to uh, investigate and prove that there was almost 800 babies. So these were 800 babies that died in the Chum mother and baby home. Um, uh, no one knew who they were. They were in a, a pit in a septic tank for God knows how many years. That started the government. The government would then force to listen to the survivors because this was like, you know, this was a huge scandal in, in Irish history. And the government were compliant, or the government were um, complicit because it was the, the homes were a state uh, church-run enterprise. Both of them were involved. So this forced the government to launch an inquiry into the mother and baby home situation. And they uh, they put in place a group, um, an expert group to compile a report on the, the mother and baby homes report. And this was great for the survivors because they thought the truth was going to finally come out and their voice was going to be heard. And healing could happen and babies could be found, all of this. Um, but what happened was after eight, I think, 11 million euro of a budget they had, this report came out, which is a document like that big. And it did not tell the truth of the level of trauma and the level of abuse. There were 550 survivors who gave testimony, who went to the the group, told their stories, which were full of trauma, full of shame, really, really hard. It was really, really hard for any survivor to tell their stories. But in order for the the truth to come out, they did. And 550 of them did. And it was a complete, that was re-traumatizing in itself. But they did it for the greater good, and what happened was in the report, none of their testimony was reflected, and even worse again it was falsified in some cases. But this document was released by the government as the official document of the truth of what happened in Ireland's mother and baby homes institutions for 100 years. And then from that, then the Taoiseach launched an apology and he apologized to society. But his apology was based on this report that wasn't even reflecting the truth. And on first listen, I thought the apology was amazing. And I cried and I said, now my mom, who thought she was the only one, she thought there was no one else in Ireland who was a slut like her or, you know, who who this happened to or brought the families and he said some lovely things that you know that ye weren't the only ones and the shame it should be ours as a government who let this happen to you and there was amazing things in it like that but then he also said that it was society's fault that let this happen and I just this was like a red rag to a bull to me and I was like my mom had told me the stories of my granddad and my granddad who was the kindest man and he was very strong catholic faith but yet he was in no way ever judgmental of anyone didn't believe in punishing people for their sins or anything like that and when my mom told him she was pregnant his first response was to hug her and and like he really felt her pain and he rang the parish priest because he believed that the parish priest would be the one to help her and to know what to do. And of course the parish priest said, you need to get her out of the county in 24 hours. And then she was gone. But my granddad's reaction to my mom was to give her the biggest hug and said, don't you feel any shame for this? You have nothing to be ashamed about. And that me and your mother could have got caught ourselves if it wasn't for me and my rosary beads. She, you know and that was amazing for him but this showed his humanity and uh they did not want to send her but they thought it was the best thing to do for the for the baby and for her and they thought she was going to be looked after so I was like and then there was a point where they even were looking into being able to keep the baby and they they considered moving to Cork selling the farm and moving to Cork, moving the whole family and keeping the baby. But then they realized it would be really obvious and they'd get ostracized from society there as well. So, you know, the the best thing for for everyone was to to put them into the mother and baby home and thinking they will be well looked after. So I knew, you know, the, the Taoiseach blamed the fathers of the children and society for letting this happen. And I knew this was not the case. And I also knew that the Irish people were conditioned through instruments of shame and fear to behave in ways that were contrary to their nature. So if they believed that they were going to get to hell for supporting a pregnant mother, you know, that that messes with your conscience. And maybe they all thought that they were acting in good faith and doing the right thing. So it was, you know, I wanted to, so I just felt a need to call out um, how Ireland the effect of Catholic Ireland on Ireland and when, you know, the biggest thing in Catholicism is is their omission of the feminine from our culture. And, you know, women aren't allowed to be priests and um, women have, have, you know, back then, even if you were when you had a baby, you were considered dirty and you weren't allowed in the church for six weeks after, at which time you had to be churched like you have to go up to the altar and the priest had to do something to cleanse you after you're bringing life into this world, you know, and there's nothing said about the fellas who impregnated the women, you know, who engaged in the same act. <laughs> there's not, not a thing said about them. So I just wanted to call out that, you know, the, um, the treatment of women in Ireland coincided with the, the reign of Catholicism that, the the reason that society ended up like that was because Eamon de Valera enlisted his crony Archbishop McQuaid to write the constitution of Ireland so the constitution of Ireland which is what we are all as citizens legally bound by is written through the lens of Catholic dogma which is mental like mental I don't think there's any other I don't know there's like you know church and state should be separate like why in Ireland that we, we, we released ourselves from the control of the British Empire and then straight away we put ourselves into the hand of another worse, maybe <laughs> controller in ways. Um, so anyway, I thought I was writing the Facebook post because I wanted to, again, this the, the thing that healed me all the time was expressing and writing. And I was very sick at the time, and this is the darkness that you were talking about. So, you know, I had made a decision. I wanted to learn more about Imbus. Imbus, actually, to get illumination, you need immersion in the dark. The light always comes from the dark. You know, the the condition for one polarity is set in the other polarity. So part of understanding Imbus is is knowing the dark and traveling through the dark and lo and behold I was thrown into a big dark period of about it's coming on to four years now where I was uh, diagnosed with Lyme disease so I just suddenly I had chronic fatigue ever since 2013 actually a year before 2012 I got bitten by a tick in Thailand uh, in, in the jungle I did a jungle trek got bitten by mosquitoes Chronic fatigue, chronic fatigue all the time since then. So I was partying like mad, real high achiever in work in the career, in the marketing career. And then with chronic fatigue the whole time underlying this. But anyway, the partying dropped and I kept the work thing just kept. I was really, you know, fast paced and work and everything. And in 2019, I just dropped. I couldn't go anymore. I uh, was debilitated then for. Ah, about two years literally bedridden um couldn't find out what was wrong with me for ages eventually got the diagnosis that it was Lyme disease most likely from those mosquito bites in Thailand and when you have Lyme disease your is it, it, um every system in your body is infected and affected so your brain goes into a state that's like Alzheimer's uh, dementia you know I couldn't text my friends I could barely talk, couldn't really look after my son. My, my parents had to hugely take over there. Um, it, it's, Lyme has the highest rate of suicide, one of the highest rates of suicide of any disease it, because it's just so hard. You're literally dying. You're dying really, really slowly. And because I had it for so many years and kept fighting through and kept being in that you know um, survival state for that long, I thought it was because it was working so hard it just it it just my whole system broke down so the level of suffering for those three years was the mental suffering and and physical suffering was just off the charts like there was times where I thought I wouldn't wake up in the morning and to be honest if I didn't have like my son it's probably times that I probably would have wished there was only one time that happened you know But and it wasn't anything serious but that, you get to that place you know um so that was a, a a massive immersion into the dark so when this mother and baby homes thing started to erupt and the Taoiseach um apologized I was barely able to write you know barely able to write um a text to my friends but I was so fucking pissed off that I said I'm going to do a Facebook post and at least this anger is out of my system <laughs> And I started writing, I was drinking cacao as well, which I have here in front of me, like that's such a sacred energy medicine. Oh my God, Um, I think that really helped me. And I started writing and next thing I found hours later, I was still writing. And next thing I looked at this thing I had written in front of me and it was like the coherence, right? So I couldn't, there were times where I was on the N7 motorway And I forgot where I was going and I forgot where I was. There was no ability to have coherent thoughts or anything. Next thing I was looking down, I was like, oh, my Jesus Christ. I didn't even realize I knew these things in history. There was a letter to the Taoiseach um, that went back as far as like the 1916 rising and really highlighted how women were pivotal in 1916. Women were pivotal for Ireland winning our independence. And the, you know, we won our independence. And then when we got it in 1922, de Valera in his wisdom enlists, you know, McQuaid to write the constitution. And when he did, the women were written out. There's literally a clause in the constitution that says a woman's place is in the home and nowhere else. That's still there to this day. And the year that that constitution was written was the first was the year that the mother and baby home system started. So it was like if you De Valera's, you know, writing of the women out of, of the constitution is one thing, but it's not without its consequences. That's the kind of thinking that allowed women to be shoved into these homes. So there was an, a 12 minute letter written and there was a lot more as well. Like that was. That a lot of people in Ireland didn't really join the dots on but when when I was writing this in the context of sticking up for my mother and the other mother and baby home survivors I could see our history with such clarity and I could see all the different parts that added up to make this happen how it was wrong why it was wrong and what we needed to do to remedy it and at the end of the letter, I, I, I called for Bridget's day to be a national holiday because I thought Bridget is the our goddess of healing. She's a goddess that was written out of our history at the same time that the, the Catholic church wrote out women. And to bring Bridget back would be to bring back the energy of healing and bring back um, balance and equality symbolically in our lives in Ireland because her and Columbus and Patrick are joint patron saints of Ireland. So I just thought that would be, and I, I called for the shock to uh, address all the discrepancies in the report and to retract that part of the the, the uh, apology that blames society. I knew that wasn't going to happen, but I wanted to use that for any potential headlines that there could be, because that's how I, I, I'm, my background is communications. So I started, to, when I realized that this letter was this incredible, I started to to, to understand that the potential of this was to be really big. So I was going to do everything I could to get this in the media or whatever. Um, so anyway, there were a few of my really amazing friends, Rory McKiernan um, and Melanie Lynch, and there was more as well, but you know, they were really instrumental because I was so sick at the time. And they came in, they saw the letter and it was like, they were like, they really wanted to support me in getting this out there. And then between us all anyway, we, the letter went viral. Um, it was unanimously supported by survivors by celebrities by politicians by um, and when you're dealing with something that traumatic or that like um, you know it was re- it's really sensitive and it's controversial it was calling out an awful lot of things that could have got many backs up but there was I I literally got not one word of negativity or not one troll or not one. There was it was incredible, and like I'm in communications, you're kind of ready and waiting to manage something like this that might happen. There was nothing, and I got invited by the Abbey Theatre to uh to deliver the letter from the stage of the Abbey. So at this point where the government were actively suppressing the survivors' voices and misrepresenting their testimony in the report, the Abbey Theatre were doing this production that gave voice to the survivors and gave the survivors' testimony a chance to be heard by the Irish public. So I was joined by other prominent women in Ireland who they were all reading out survivors' testimonies, but I was on board as a second generation survivor reading out my own um, expression. And that was just incredible because it was on our national stage, that the voices that had been suppressed in Ireland for so long were getting their chance on our national stage. And it was a stage that WBH, my lifelong hero, had set up and that mod gone, acted on, you know, it, when you go back to Bridget's Way and when I said her incantation, and it was, I realized that it was Imbus for Osnay that was writing the letter, I clicked into that Imbus that wrote the letter it overrode my debilitation my like dementia <laughs> and i was able to write the letter and then here i was through magical synchronicity standing on the stage of the abbey where maud gone and wb yeats would have set up and maud gone acted on you know um representing a free and so- sovereign ireland like she acted in kathleen e. hoolahan which is a play that yeats wrote And she was Kathleen Hulahan, and Kathleen was a symbol for a free Ireland, you know. And I'm like, these synchronicities are not lost on me. This is incredible. So I ended up then being an advocate for mother and baby home survivors, you know. Even still now, where we're advocating, and there's been a lot of progress made since then on um, getting the truth out there. You know, a lot, a lot still to go, and most amazingly. Bridget's Day was announced as a as a. I
1: was, I was just going to ask: Was that because of you?
2: It was because of a lot of us, I suppose. Yeah, fuck. But, yeah, yeah like that. that was one of the first uh, public uh, declarations or calls. Um, and then what we did myself and Melanie Lynch um, and Tracy O'Connor. Melanie is the CEO of Her Story. So I'm poet in residence for Her Story. If you look up on herstory.ie, it's it's a, a platform for telling stories of contemporary mythological and historical women that were written out of history. But Melanie Lynch and Tracy O'Connor and myself through Her Story after that then on the equinox. So that same um, time as St. Patrick lit the Paschal Fire for Balance we sent a petition. We had launched a petition uh, a year or two before that for people to sign for Bridges Day to be a national holiday. And we got 18,000 signatures, but we decided because Equinox was that PowerPoint, you know, that PowerPoint that symbolized balance, we sent the the uh, the server or the, the quest, the mind blank, the thing, what is it?
1: Petition. <laughs> petition, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: We sent the petition to the, the Tanisha on Equinox. And then a few months after that, then we started to see in the media that they were considered, the COVID, COVID had happened and the government wanted to, to give a bank holiday. And then there was a big campaign that started then. Some people wanted uh, Thanksgiving. And then, you know, we got really stuck in hell for leather at why Bridges Day should be a national holiday. And then it was, it happened. But the probability of that happening.
1: That's incredible
2: you know i believe imbus has the power of invocation i believe if you speak a word out and if you speak with huge intention and purpose and an open heart i believe that has the power to manifest or that has the power to invoke and that's why i deliberately put in that you know and deliberately why when i was standing on the stage at the abbey to say that because my letter it needed to be condensed you know it needed to be summarized and I had to take out a lot I would not take out that part because I believe that's how the poets in Ireland they 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 believe that their words brought about a good effect that if they spoke something that brought huge energy and huge intent and that and, and I believe that you know I'm one of many you know but I believe that um a human being with huge intent and huge love, uh, and huge purpose. Um, a person saying that, with will and with love, on on a platform as sacred as the Abbey Theatre, did something, you know, in terms of helping to make it happen. And that's why I'd say to anyone: spoken word is so important. You know, your words are sacred, and if they're delivered you know how bad you feel when when you say bad words to someone or someone says something to you or it's that's awful or that's traumatic or demeaning but then on the flip side you know that can do so much harm but then on the flip side words said with love and with purpose and with humility like words that have the ego taken out they can be so powerful so so powerful
1: it's definitely it's funny because Until some point last year, I I came to the realization of like that, when you say those bad words to people or or whatever way you say it, and it's like that vibration hits them and causes. So like what I have done, because I would be inclined to to snap at times or uh, not like I used to, but still happens at times. But what I do now is this little kind of, if I do send out that bad vibration, I will send another, like a little bird whistle after it. So that whoever that hits, they get hit then by like a kind of thing, <laughs> you know? So, but yeah, it's so true. It does, it's like the vibrations we send out have such a massive impact. And it's like you said, by saying that with love in the theater, like 100% that had a massive impact. Yeah. You know, on the people yeah. that heard it. Yeah,
2: and uh, my intention was it was mad because I was fulfilling a lifelong dream of saying words I had written in the Abbey, but that was, that was the least of it. My biggest intention was to speak up for people who couldn't speak for themselves. um, And, and not in a, a, an egotistical way because you know, who has a right to speak for anyone. And that was a big, I had a concern for that because my letter in it, it stated on behalf of Manana Heron, I'm like, what the fuck am I to be speaking for on a heron like then the deeper wisdom oh I went to Maud book which is one of the the antique books I have behind me I went to her book and I opened a random page that said uh Never, always always remember what willpower can achieve um and then I just remembered to just close the book close my eyes and think what what is my will here well what is and my will was for healing of all of this trauma that had been, you know, inflicted on the women and children of Ireland. Um, And then I checked in with my gut to see, was I, was this, any of this coming from ego or was it coming from the deepest layer of integrity? And it was coming from the deepest layer of integrity. My only wish with that letter was to speak up. And I felt as a second generation survivor, um, I, I was one of the few who could speak because the first generation survivors were so traumatized that it wouldn't be possible for many of them to speak. Then, you know, if you're not involved in it at all, you don't really have an understanding of everything. So I just had a responsibility as a second generation survivor. I believed I was one of the few who could actually speak. And that gave me confidence then to just keep that in, keep, you know, on behalf of Manon here and in. And uh, yeah, I I I did, and I, I like you know I realised that 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 was a sequence of a lot of things that had started from age fourteen to Bridget's way in 2013, um, understanding what your purpose is, uh, doing your best to try and heal your traumas because so much of our traumas are multi generational and ancestral. And with me in that letter, I was healing trauma that had come down to me from my mom. I, ha- I was healing trauma that would come, came down, you know, through all the generations from colonialization, famine, all of the women being wiped out of Irish history. And I felt the next day after the letter was published, I published it on Bridget's day, actually, yeah. I did that on purpose as well. So I do, I do things on these days like we sent the petition on Equinox. I sent the letter on Bridget's day because they're PowerPoints. And look at the magic that happen, happens when I do that. But um, like, uh, I'm actually losing my train of thought now.
0: I anyway. think what you were saying there, I actually just thought of Steve, jo- Steve Jobs quote, you can only connect the dots looking back. And it yeah. seems like that's, you're looking back now. It's like, oh, it all makes sense now
2: that's exactly it it was like oh my god if you think of my intention on the on bridget's way to heal the collective feminine in ireland but also the personal one um to combine my writing and my healing and they they say it takes seven years to integrate a pilgrimage experience all this mother and baby home stuff happened right at the end of the seventh year Mm. and then oh yeah it was the day after the letter i uh so I realized that there was all this ancestral healing, multi-generational healing, but then I felt this lightness in my body the day after that I hadn't felt in mm-hmm. maybe forever. And I realized this huge personal healing happened in my own physical body mm-hmm. to allow the Lyme, the healing from Lyme actually, hap- Like because I wasn't healing really. I, I had made improvements, but I wasn't really getting into, into any place where I was functional. And I saw after I did this, it was taking huge energetic tolls to to, to, send the letter and, and be functional that way. And I would be in bed for three or four days after each thing. If I did a podcast or whatever, I'd be in bed for two or three days. But then on a whole, I was getting gradually and gradually better. So it did initiate healing the trauma through expressing my own pain, my mom's pain and generations of women's pain in Ireland that allowed my nervous system to let go of huge trapped blocks and negative energy. And like, I, I could I was never a great dancer. Like I, I marched instead of dancing. <laughs> but after this, I could move like fucking like brilliant, you know? So I, I realized it was this, I had so much blocked energy. Yeah.
1: I resonate with that. I, I, I do resonate with that. The And another thing, like, it sounds like, anyway, a lot of this journey was allowed to happen because you listened to your intuition. You mentioned sitting and asking your gut, you know, um, because I think that a lot of us, I know me personally anyway, I get messages or I get gut feelings. I'm starting to allow them to come in. I'm starting to trust them, but it's yeah. a very slow process because before you'd always, you'd always play it off you know, those, those things you're getting in your gut, those feelings, Yeah. you always just push them away. Yeah. It's a, for me anyway, it's a slow process starting to trust and listen to that. But from what you were saying, a lot of that was you trusting that intuition and having the courage then to take the steps and keep taking the steps and, and trusting what was coming into you. Because a lot of people would just think they were crazy, I suppose, or they'd be so concerned about what everyone else would think yeah. yeah. If they were to say where this was coming from.
2: Yeah, that's it. And I suppose I have my mom to thank for that. She was always as as you know, she's been through a lot, an awful lot of trauma herself. But her intuition is and you were saying your mom is the same as well. Like I learned that from her. And, and you know, I suppose if I was to, that was the main thing. I always trusted my gut. And even if it was, you know, back then, um Celtic spirituality wasn't a thing like you'd be considered a weirdo like if you were talking about Bridget and you know and I was probably (laughs) so I deviated but it was it just felt so right um and you know the smallest inconsequential things you know I didn't think that this was going to be as influential in my life but it seemed like there was a pathway already destined for me you know and I believe that there are multiple this goes back to quantum physics, but I believe there are multiple possibilities or timelines that any of us can take that are laid out for us. And I suppose, depending on how aligned we are with our intuition and how aligned we are with compassion and love, because if I was to do any of that those things out of ego predominantly, I don't think the magic would have happened as it did. Um, and I think if we have our intuition that we're on a a really dedicated path of self um, improvement. And that's not, you know, that's part, I I believe self-improvement is not all about being fixated on becoming positive or anything like that. It's like what you were saying, Cormac, in your last post, It's, it's about understanding our shadow, but also remembering our light or whatever, and not always needing to be in a positive space. But if you just have a general will to not be hurting other people because of your issues, um, I believe if you have that, if you have intuition and compassion and you allow yourself to keep that sense of awe, that's so important, like that sense of the divinity of seeing the night sky and going, Jesus Christ, or, you know, in the flower or letting yourself have those experiences of gnosis. I believe those things and connecting with friends that are in alignment, that is so important, like so, so important. I believe then we can we'll end up on the highest timeline. <laughs> is it Santiago. Santiago,
1: yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Right
0: away. laughs> You can see
1: me pointing Hi, hi, Laura. how are you? Is <laughs> hi, hello. How are you? Sorry. Look, good. I have this. Uh-huh. That's.
2: Oh, you got her! Oh, good woman! Wow, he jumped out of me this morning. Like, this is synchronicity, right? I, it's a picture you, of
1: Bridget as well, by the way.
2: Yeah, you're on your little note because ah, Santiago connected with me a few months ago and he did an incredible post on a man's reflection on the mother and baby homes issue and i think it's one of the most important Mm. things that has come out of the mother and baby homes campaign like in tandem with the abbey theater production and because (laughs) yeah i really believe that um and if we can get it out to the listeners in some way i think it's Mm. probably worth doing but um this morning, this I didn't know that Santiago was with you guys. Like, <laughs> was... This thing jumps out at me. I've had it for months, and I, and, you know, I haven't been well, so I haven't written back to him to tell him how much this means to me. And I took yes. it out to say, I'm, I'm, I need to get contact with Santiago <laughs> to tell him. And then you tell me he's here, <laughs> and I talk about mother and baby homes and Bridget. And yeah, that's oh, bless. that's magic. That's connecting with tribe. When you find your soul oh. tribe. And you have that spark, and they share the same purpose. And you have unconditional love, like you know, you know, something like you've just a, a will to help people. Cormac and Daryl, that just emanates through you. You know, that's why we're all connected. You know, share purpose. So, yeah, magic.
1: Wow. Wow. <laughs> <The magic's laughs> <one's> there, <laughs> wow. Well, thank magic. you so much. It's lovely to see you.
2: You too, you, you too. We can't wait to meet in person.
0: Yes, yes, we'll have the summer at some stage.
2: Yes, definitely.
0: Nice, thank you. And um, I was just gonna ask Laura, maybe I might get you to read out the uh, Is Misha Breed at that poem at some stage, or maybe at the end. But maybe before that, I just wanted to. I suppose the reason we brought you on to the podcast, and we're looking to maybe talk with other women, I suppose. The podcast is mainly focused on how can we be better as men, how can we heal our trauma, and get to know ourselves and I suppose as I taught as I said to you, like speaking with women and getting their perspective on how we can be better is an important step as well to that. So I suppose from your perspective, how do you see um how men can you know step into that true balance between the masculine and the feminine how can we be better as men in society
2: so amazing so amazing that you're even asking that question um and i suppose that's a lot of what Santiago Seamus um a lot of his intent in writing that thing on the mother and baby homes because it's really important that um you know men can empathize with what women have been through in Ireland or in the world in the last hundred years or since patriarchy you know and to understand um the impact of not being given a voice and being objectified like you know sexually or being controlled sexually Um, you know like in Ireland women you know back in 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 up until like maybe the 70s like contraception was illegal marital rape wasn't a crime Um, divorce was illegal so women men in Ireland were given you know uncontrolled or un, the free reign over women and children in Ireland so everyone was affected the the boys growing up were affected by that and and you know women were affected and men were affected so so to have for men to have an understanding of that and empathy even that alone this huge healing and you know even though the plight of women in Ireland now isn't as bad we still have kind of intergenerational effects of that you know women's relationship in Ireland's sexuality can be quite complicated you know we could still have uh shame hangovers from the Catholic Church like the good girl like you know if if you know someone might be very have preference sexual preferences that they might not be able to follow through on because they think this is a sin or they have that just conditioned shame so our women might be more promiscuous and you know for want of a better word than they want to be because it's all gone mixed up because we haven't got the proper education or whatever so even having an understanding of that that, that sexuality can be a you know a sensitive place for women and but the other thing is to not take blame for that to not feel guilty as men you know i do see with the early feminists and sometimes i see i don't like when i see uh, men being berated or you know patriarchy in my opinion is not men patriarchy is a culture of dominance you know and of greed Men, in my opinion, were as damaged by the patriarchy as women, just in different ways. And I think the way that men can heal from that for themselves is to recognize the feminine in themselves. And that's, you know, it goes back to balance as well. And and since I had that experience on Slain, which is the intersection of masculine and feminine on equinox, you know, balance, I've had that understanding that that's how we heal. If we go from patriarchy to matriarchy, we'll still end up in the shits. And like a shadow woman is fairly feckin' bad. In fairness, like you know, I, I've 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 different. met a few. <laughs> we all have. And my shadow side is not pleasant. <laughs> and you're talking about snapping. I'm I still snap. But anyway. so so we don't want a matriarchy uh what we want is balance and the only way we can do that is if the feminine if if us women balance up our our healthy masculine with our healthy feminine and if ye men balance up your feminine with your masculine and there's nothing more sexier to me than a man who is in you know in really solid relationship with his inner feminine you know like and nothing more connective you know whether it's in a love relationship or a friend relationship I I tend to not be able to be in relationship with with guys now who are not in in balance with their inner feminine and inner masculine and it's a beautiful thing to see softness in men for men to be able to be vulnerable and like that's that takes the biggest strength and the biggest courage and like I see that as so manly you know and so strong when i see a man being able to be vulnerable and to be able to communicate and to connect and that can be hard for some men because of the conditioning like men have been conditioned to not cry to be hard you know and that's not just from the catholic church or whatever that's from peer groups like from other men at school and all the challenges that men and women have now with technology and social media and celebrity culture you know you don't have to be anyone only yourself and individuality is what makes life beautiful and there's you know there's one strain of society now going down this homogenized like everyone looks the same or everyone's acting the same we all have the same way of doing our reels with these dances or whatever but then there's another part of society where all this individual individuality is flourishing And that we're all feeling now where our parents didn't really have the ability in their society to be who they wanted to be. We do. That's available to us now, like, you know, and the key is to find other people who are doing what you want to do. Like, you know, you're on Michael Ryan's course and. Um, I very much still follow uh, Dolores Whelan and Karen Ward and my friends like Kathy Scott and the Trailblazery, Melanie, Susan Quirk, become friends with people you admire and people that resonate with you. Uh, learn from people who have traveled the same path and are, are, are living in a way that you would like to live. They don't necessarily need to have succeeded and have made it, like our definition of success needs to change now it needs to be about how close to the real person we are or how close we are to you know making a difference in our little patch and leaving the place a bit better that's to me that's real success Mm -hmm. so I think and, and I suppose to summarize it all it what got me started on 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 the latest leg of my journey which was getting true about my activism and writing I was in Dublin on the way to work and um, in one of Ireland's leading brands into into my marketing job and I just uh, there was a writing on the outside of a pub and it was the quote and it was don't wait till the iron is hot to strike but make it hot by striking and that stayed in my brain and I was like that's it and that's for everything I did that was what would come into my head all the little things that made magic happen along the way I was like you know don't be that's the other one don't be afraid Seamus Heaney would have that that was his last words nolly to mare which is Latin for don't be afraid you make the iron hop by striking and don't be afraid do it with with humility have empathy for the feminine and don't be afraid to bring the feminine out yourself and then just live life in a light-hearted way like we we're here to have fun we're here to, we're here to experience joy wow
0: yeah. well that was an amazing answer um
1: a very powerful answer and you answered uh you answered the question comic always asks yeah again, you answered my next question as well.
0: what was that <laughs> what definition of success mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't even need to be asking questions anymore we'll just
1: but not
2: when probably,
0: you're...
1: Not probably the le- I think it's the least we've spoken on a podcast. Mm.
2: <laughs> I was conscious of that halfway through. No, that's everyone. very good.
1: <laughs> no, that's very good. It's, that's what wanted. But... Yeah, it's you we want to we want to hear from.
2: Oh, thank you, and I can't wait to meet you guys in person. So, like, mm. you just
1: know, we'll organise some. Yeah,
2: yeah. we love yeah. that. Maybe yeah. Santiago with you as
0: well. Yeah, would yeah. be brilliant. And um, do you want to before we finish? Do you want to read or to recite? Read. I don't know if you know it off by heart. Yeah, Ishmusha ish, ish breed.
2: I don't know it off by heart, but I can uh, oh, yeah. see if I can get it up on on. um mm. And if you can edit out, if I've taken too much time, can't she?
0: Yeah, we'll, let, we'll cut yeah. it a little bit.
1: Yeah. We'll cut out all the bullshit we're, after.
2: We're... <laughs> 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 There's
0: no bullshit there at all. I've only <laughs> joking. just cut out me and Daryl <laughs> talking.
2: No, don't, because you were talking so little. I just looked like a second conversation hugger. Oh, my God.
0: Oh,
2: yeah, I have it here, right?
0: Hopefully.
2: I am of the sky. I am of the earth. Dreaming in truth since the day of my birth. Ismisha on Allah Saspair. Ismisha on Nahar Fween Toliv. Ismisha on Sulason Yalak. Ismisha Nyart Nadarak. Toggum Mombalak Nabofina. Tuggum Balak Nafarina. I am the light of a thousand stars shining over Kildara fair. I am the light. I am the fire of her sacred heart, Imbus flame reviving nyart. I am the water of her waters that bear fruits of the womb, alchemical air. I am the first drop of morning dew Fires of the mountain igniting in you. I am the blessing of a bright new dawn, love from on high, the exalted one. Is soliz orgami egdera on turka, is ermenol a hagan on va. I am the cloak that stretches horizons, a reminder to all. That miracles happen. Dia Gwitch. Dia is Murugwitch. Dia is Murugwitch is pádraig. is Murugwitch is Padrig August Breed. Who was born by the light of the rising sun? By whose light did Oum dawn? Who is the bridge between heart, hearth, and home? Who inspires the words of the poet? Who ignites the driacht of the druid? Who fuels the strength of the warrior? Is Misha on Bonri black? Is Misha on Blauheen Bio? Is Misha Bail on Ila Iglunru Gajo? I am the voice of mother tongue sound of her heart calling you home. I am the sweet nectar of mother's love. Tenderness of her hand's healing touch. I am the gentle light that guides you. The fiery arrow that carries you. The blazing fire that fuels you. I am she who is goddess. I am she who is saint, I am she who is strength, I am she, I am she, I am she, Is Misha,
1: Breed. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. You You don't really know what to say after that, do you?